and welcome to the Trash Tapes podcast as part of the Enigmatic Productions Network. If you love bad cinema and incredible deep dives into cult film, then you have come to the right place. So if you like what you hear and want to support us, you can do so by donating some funds to our Buy Me A Coffee website, along with the ACAR supporter feature. All of these can be found in the description below. And now, on with the show. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Johan Chapal presents the premiere episode of the Not-So-Trash Reviews. Hello movie buffs and cinephiles, and welcome to a brand new show, The Not-So-Trash Reviews. My name is Johan Chapal, a triumphant lover of cinema, as well as the host of this new exciting project. So for all you regular listeners out there, you're probably wondering, what is this exactly? This is a spin-off of the original Trash Tapes content. Will this be a new format? Will Trash Tapes get replaced? Why are you scaring us with all this change? Well, to explain myself, this audio essay of sorts is a passion project I've been wanting to try out for a long time. While I adore watching and reviewing hilariously bad cinema, it isn't what I'd say defines me. Sure, I have now been labelled as the bad movie guy in all my peer circles, but at heart, I love all forms of cinema. The big blockbusters, the indie darlings, the art house cult films, and the hidden gems. But more importantly, I really love analysing them. Getting a bachelor's and master's degree in film studies and media production allowed me to see this art form in a way I thought wasn't possible. Having a deep dive into what makes a film tick and the potential theories that could provide more of a nuance. But as I got older and attempted to stay connected to film academia, I noticed two things. One was that even though I'm a teacher by trade, I haven't had the chance to apply this in much depth. There's still so much I want to learn and apply, and I'm hoping that this will ignite my love for film studies again. But the second part was that wanting to critically analyze or provide deeper reviews into some of these films I loved ended up being somewhat fruitless, especially for some of the quirky B-movies and cult indie films that I adore and that I want to cover on the show. There are very little papers or articles or even things mentioned in books that I would consider well-researched or say anything new on the subject. So this is how Not So Trash Reviews was born. It'll be myself and a guest from the film community to discuss and review these films that may have been overlooked, lost in time, 
critically panned or may have difficult selling points because of their style or subject matter. With this means we can shine a light on some of these films and explore what makes them so interesting, hopefully introducing you guys to a whole new range of movies to watch. Now enough with the preamble. What is going to be the subject of our first episode in this essay series? I'm joined by scriptwriter and Cinelit podcast host Adam Marsh as we discuss the 1978 exploitation film Patrick. May we introduce you to Patrick. He's playing dead. Or is he? He isn't dead. He isn't alive. (laughs) Only Kathy cares. Understands. What do you call it when someone has the power to make things move around the room without touching them? Magic. I don't think you are cut out to be a nurse in an institution like this. It's because of Patrick, isn't it? It's because I know too much. And no one believes her. Brian, he's going to think I'm mad unless you say something. Not Dr. Roger. 160 pounds of limp meat hanging off a comatose brain. Can you imagine anything less aware than that? Not her husband. I'd like to discuss our divorce. Not her lover. Take the note of sarcasm. Why was not the police. The Look, Mrs. Jackard, please, let's not complicate this any further, will you? <laughs> Patrick? You won't believe what Patrick does to people. Doctor, it's Patrick. You know it's him, don't you? If there is such a thing as a sixth sense, he's had three years to develop a beauty. Too late, they all discover the power of Patrick. Is that why you murdered your mother, Patrick? Patrick. And I am joined by Adam Marsh. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing wonderfully well. One of the things, uh, you, you, one of the reason why I got you on this, probably actually the first episode on Not So Trash Reviews, is because you introduced me to this movie. Okay, cool. Um, because uh, you put Patrick on for the for for Dead Breakfast, basically, and this year, and for me, it was the most. It's the most. It was the movie of the night for me. I was blown away by it because I've never heard a peep. Mm. from this movie and i think and i think one of the things you actually mentioned that did it was this was sort of a rare sort of upscaled version of the movie you got i believe yeah. it was like the very fresh print mm-hmm. that's right yeah we, we we've been doing dead and breakfast since 2009 it was mm. like all night horror marathon at halloween mm. and i've been trying to get patrick fairly early on i mean i saw, I saw the documentary on exploitation that a lot of people saw uh, which introduced a lot of these films to to, to wider audiences, and mm. I was like, "Oh, Patrick, this and this is going to be great." I'll go down a storm at like three in the morning, perfect time for this for this film. And I've been trying to clear the rights for it for years, and, and uh, I've managed to clear the rights, but the quality of the DVDs that were out there because there was no prints knocking around, 
I just couldn't consciously put that on the screen because it wasn't going to look great. And I, I didn't mm. want it because some of these films like, like Patrick, you introduce into an audience and they're probably only going to watch it once. Mm. So you got one chance to show this film to an audience and, and introduce this film to an audience. And I always want to try and introduce it in the best possible way you can. Uh, whether that's on a 35mm print that you've managed to pull out of an archive somewhere or it's a brand new restoration that's on on, on, a, on a DCP. And, uh, yeah, the American film, American film, American genre film archive mm. uh, based in Texas are doing some amazing work in uh, restoring stuff and uh, making that available to cinemas worldwide. Um, mm-hmm. I've been in contact with them for the past few years and we've pulled a couple of films from their archives for different screenings and then I suddenly pops up Patrick and it's like oh my god <laughs> a DCP of Patrick uh, restored uh, in, in as much as be- best quality you're probably ever going to see it so I uh, thought yeah I'm having that I'm having that and then I built the, the rest of the program around that really and it's honestly the way you were, the way you were saying how difficult it is uh, to find a good print I'd agree because I once once I saw that I was like this movie's amazing mm. why is no one else talking about this movie let's all talk about this movie and so I went around trying to find DVDs or Blu-rays of it and they are incredibly hard and very rare to find. I got my copy, I've got it on here, is from literally the company's called Hard Gore, mm-hmm. right? Hard Gore, which clearly when you look at the back catalogue, they're usually famed for really bad late 90s, early noughties, shot on a video capture, like a like a really bad video camera, um, schlock and softcore porn. Yeah, you say, you say that, but the film came out of that. You know, it came out mm. of the exploitation boom. The director of this film, Richard Franklin, his two previous films were softcore porn films. <laughs> they were softcore porn comedies. Granted, you know, they were the Australian sex comedies. But he directed, mm. like, the true story of Eskimo Nell in 75. He yeah. directed um, Phantasm, which was quite a popular hit in Australia in 76. And they were they were just sex, sex films, basically. And then he went into this. So the, so the, the exploitation genre is is mm. is full of sex films, basically. The, the, True. The, the, the censorship laws dropped in the early 70s and they, they introduced an R rating and all filmmakers went, great, mm. get your clothes off, let's start making some films, you know. But this film doesn't really apply to that it, when you watch it. And as you start, when you start digging deeper into that genre, th- this is head and shoulders above those kind of films. Hi there, it's me from the future. Part of the new format is to allow moments to sort of stop and to expand on areas of interest or analyze a theory in more detail. This is an example of that. So you're probably already asking, what is Ozploitation? Well, it is mostly a recent term to describe a series of exploitation films made in Australia with the introduction of the R rating in the 1970s and also at the time how the Australian government was attempting to fund this new blossoming film industry with large tax cuts being offered to filmmakers. Now, unlike other terms, exploitation doesn't refer to a particular style of filmmaking but is a generalization of Australian genre filmmaking. So this concludes anything from sexploitation, biker films, horror movies, kung fu epics, and even surfing flicks. So it is why I kind of kept struggling to pinpoint exactly how to describe this term. Luckily, Adam was able to say it better than I ever could. 
Yeah, I mean, it was a term that was all that was only coined really, like in the early two thousands. It wasn't something that was mm. of the time. Yeah, but um, I think it, it brings together the same. I, I think the, the ethos of how these movies were being made mm. is is the, is the is the linking thing that brings them together as an exploitation. It's a yeah. low budget. It's the going above and beyond your budget to create something great in yeah. an environment where they have no film. And there were seven films, feature films, made in Australia between 1960 and 1966. Damn. Seven, right? So, like, so, you, so you suddenly had this floodgate open in the 70s where they were making don't countless movies. And you mm. had all these silly people who, who, who'd grown up on making short films in the 60s and suddenly were having the opportunity to make features. And they could make features pretty much about anything they wanted to as long as it was mm. under 400 grand. <laughs> it was like, whatever you want, go for it, 400 grand, boom, off we go. You know, and, and, and they did. And there is, I mean, Patrick is great. Whereas if you dig deeper, there's a handful of others that are mm. of a high quality as well. Obviously, we've talked about Mad Max before. It's one of, yeah, the, of course. The, the prime ones from that period. But you've got things like Long Weekend, which is like Man versus Nature, which is a great film. Again, mm. that was remade um, like 10 years ago, something like that with James Marsden in it. Mm. But a handful of these movies, which are prime for remakes, um, prime for, for reappraisals, I think, as well, that yeah. would sit alongside Patrick and Long Weekend and Mad Max in the, uh, these are better than what you would expect an exploitation film to be. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the real strength of the exploitation name, I guess. It feels very different to what to every other exploitation movie, I feel. Because also the way it's been promoted in this case is that I feel like this is supposed to be seen like, oh, this is, a, this is like a very over-elaborate slasher horror movie. When there's only... When it isn't, um, and I find that even more interesting. Now, um, just just to clarify, because we're already talking about this a little bit, but um, I'll talk a little bit to people who are interested to know what this is. The movie itself is literally about about uh, about a troubled person called Patrick who's in a coma, who's been in a coma for about three to four years. He has been labelled, and I quote it from the back of the box: "A 170 pound of limp meat hanging from a comatose brain," and. The movie, basically, it's about him learning telekinetic powers and causing havoc, basically. <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, it, I think there's also maybe maybe more of a sort of like sexual psychological drama thriller. Mm. He's basically a, a, a telekinetic stalker in yes. this, I guess, if you look at it from that point of view. So he ain't all brilliant and lovely. And he's not a superhero killing off the bad guys. He's basically stalking Susan Penelligan for for two hours via his mind. The selling point of this movie is a bit difficult to sell to some people if you're not really into it. The idea is we've got a comatose patient who is causing havoc using telekinetic powers. Try and tell that to people, and they'll probably think it's goofy and dumb and a bit off. And yes, it is a little goofy because some some of the telekinetic effects are done pretty cheaply, but they're done because they are cheap. But the story is rich. I feel like the story is surprisingly rich for what it's selling itself as. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they do quite a clever thing in the construction of the, of the screenplay with this because, mm. like you say, it does lend itself to goofiness. It does lend itself to, to unintentional laughter amongst an audience, which I think even when we, the screening that we were in when we did it at a breakfast, some of the audience were buying it and found it funny. But mm. I think the way that the film's constructed, it slowly drip feeds the idea of telekinesis 
in the mm. first half of the movie in small small chunks, small believable chunks, whilst it's bedding you in that world and the character of, of, the, of the head nurse and the character of, of, of the boyfriend and the, 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 the husband as well. You've got this whole rich um, neighbours plot, <laughs> I guess, running yeah. alongside alongside these small little bits of, uh, of intrigue around telekinesis before it goes fully into the crazy telekinesis uh, uh, later on in the movie. So by that point, you're either in or you're out. So Adam and I are going to mention the term Hitchcockian a lot in our conversation, and I wanted to sort of fill this in. I can imagine that for some, it seems like just a catch-all term for anything that remotely looks like the works of Alfred Hitchcock. But there is more to that. It isn't just a style, a visual aesthetic that might be established easily in something like auteur theory, but it is a method of storytelling in this case, which relies on pacing, tension, and providing information to the audience in a slow, dripping manner. He always understood the idea of foreshadowing, where through the edit, sound, and composition is allowing the audience to find clues to bigger events and twists that may happen later on in the movie. He was very much aware that you were watching a film, and so he played with all these cinematic tools to give hints and even MacGuffins to the audience, easing people into the absurdity of the situation that is developing around them. But don't take my word for it, here is an example explained by the man himself. Four people are sitting around a table talking about baseball, whatever you like. Five minutes of it, very dull. Suddenly, a bomb goes off, blows the people to smithereens. What do the audience have? Ten seconds of shock. Now take the same scene and tell the audience there is a bomb under that table and will go off in five minutes. So the whole emotion of the audience is totally different because you've given them that information that in five minutes' time, that bomb will go off. Now the conversation about baseball becomes very violent because they're saying to you, don't be ridiculous, stop talking about baseball, there's a bomb under there. You've got the audience working. Now the only difference is, well I've been guilty of, in the picture sabotage of making this error, but I've never made it since, the bomb must never go off. <laughs> because if you do, you work that audience into a state and then they'll get angry because you haven't provided them with any relief. And that's almost a must. So a foot touches the bomb, somebody looks down and says, my love, bomb, out of the window, then it goes off, just in time. So what does this mean in relation to Patrick? Well, Patrick has all the signs and characteristics of a Hitchcock film, not just in some of its aesthetic, but in its storytelling, mainly through how Richard Franklin, the director, and Everett DeRoche, the one of the scriptwriters, was able to make a well-constructed story with interlocking threads linked to a variety of characters, but provide that paced foreshadowing that makes the whole premise not seem outlandish and absurd, but compelling and interesting. Now, back to the conversation. It's the way it's structured feels very Hitchcockian. 
Mm, absolutely. Um, and he, even he said that he grew inspiration from Hitchcock. Uh, he saw Psycho at a young at a young age and mm. wanted to do movies like that. And I think he did end up actually fulfilling that dream because he yeah. ended up doing Psycho two at he the did, end of it. Yeah, yeah. The, the the movie that nobody wanted yet ended up being really good. <laughs> it was like, oh wow. But also, I mean, he, the film he did after mm. this, Road Games with uh, yeah. Stacey Keach and Jamie Lee Curtis, is kind of mm. like a repositioned rear window. In many yeah. ways, you know, so he, he and he was a big fan of Hitchcock and he, he was even friends with Hitchcock, I believe, around that period, mm-hmm. you know, prior to his death when he was in when he was in um, um, California studying. He yes. set up loads of screenings of, of Hitchcock films and got Hitchcock to, to do a phone call introduction sort of thing. So he, he, he is embedded in that uh, in that thriller world. And, we, uh, and it shows in this movie because it's not like you say, it's not. It's not cheap gore effects. It's not cheap nasty slasher thrills. It is the rising tension, and it is that thriller element in the best of, of, of a Hitchcock fashion. It, it almost feels like it's deserved by that point because mm, it does absolutely. tease things little bits, like the window just opens on its own once in a while. Or, or one of my favorite shots is when the when the head nurse is uh, dozing off as she's writing it down, and just one paperweight just seems to just turn on its own. Mm. And it's little things like that. Okay, so there is this thing going on, this um, this force. Um, and then eventually it does go a bit bonkers at the end, yeah. especially where by that point where literally um, at one point the entire medicine cabinet just explodes. And by that point, you know what? Well deserved. It's about time. And it's again, it's not like it's not. I even argue it's not even stupidly silly. Like it's not like floating knives throwing it to people or there isn't that kind of level of telekinesis. It's still kind of doable. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like. When you go into a film like Patrick and you know the mm. premise, you enter into a contract with your audience, don't you? The, yeah. the, the contract is by the end of the movie, crazy stuff's going to happen at the end. And, and it delivers on that. You know, it, mm. it's, and it doesn't deliver in a sort of like ridiculous taking you out of the action, taking you out of the drama way. It delivers mm. on that. Well, this is the end of the movie. This is the finale. This is what we've been expecting. And it delivers that. One of the things I found interesting is that Patrick, even though he is predominantly, you know, he's, you know, I wouldn't call him, I'm not sure if you call him the villain of the piece or not, because everyone's very grey in this movie, per se. But it's basically about our female lead. And one thing I found interesting, it's, it's like you mentioned, it's a soap opera kind of story. It's about her understanding how to be independent, but trying to tackle all the relationships that she's been thrown into. Mm. Like all the relationships she has with people are all very different and dynamic. And, um, and it's her trying to figure that out as she goes. Like, obviously... She has the relationship with her ex, uh, with the ex husband, who we're we're not introduced to him in the greatest of light, where he literally tries to fulfill a, and I quote, woman's rape fantasy. You finished it. I'd like to discuss our divorce. Divorce. I thought you said it was going to be a trial separation. Well, it's hardly a separation if you're going to follow me about everywhere and break into my flat like some mad mauler. Well, you don't don't think that lock's going to keep anyone out, do you? Oh, Oh, Jesus, Kathy. I care about you. I'm only trying to do something about it. You want to do something, Ed? Sure, Jacka. I think, I think. 
get lost. That's it. <laughs> so much for women's rape fantasies. Then we've got the doctor character who we're introduced, who is very smug. Um, but he is the only professional that she knows had believed her when it comes to Patrick. Obviously, then we have Patrick's relationship, which how do we how can we describe Patrick in terms of his relationship with 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 our lead? Oh, he's a teenage boy, isn't it? I think mean, that's that's, mm. that's the gimmick. That's the, the sort of like the slant on it. He is a, a, a teenage boy who's never really sexually matured uh, and doesn't understand the dynamics of relationships, which when which is probably why they introduce such a complex um love life for for the lead character she's got a, yeah. she's got a husband that like they're currently separated but they still love each other but there's this this thing's going on then you introduce this new boyfriend character who's a suave ladies man sort of thing so you get overly complex mm. setup for these for what is it essentially is it going to be a minor thing because ultimately we want to get to the action and, and, and the deaths and the killings and the set pieces but they introduced that for the reason that Patrick is so underdeveloped in his understanding of women, his understanding of, mm. of, of sex and the, and the world of, of, of that kind of world. So it's a nice balance between the two, I think. And as well, like you mentioned, he doesn't have much re- understanding about relationships and sex is because of his mother. Mm. Again, a very, another very Hitchcockian thing, by the way, which in this case is that he seems to be tainted by the fact that the mum clearly was very sexually active um with um with his um w- with her lover doesn't seem like doesn't seem like father figure just seems like a lover figure i love i love this shot really really beautifully shot which is the reflection of the of basically the bed knob you know like the bed knob kind of thing of the mother and the lover having sex and then banging against the wall as you see that patrick is literally leaning listening into it so he does have this very warped idea of what sex and relationships are already because of it and he does end up killing the mum by literally throwing a heater directly into the bathtub. Yeah, toasty. <laughs> very, very toasty. Patrick? After that, it cuts to black and then we're moved on many years later, which I find interesting because then this kind of shows uh, it never really. I think they purposely made this ambiguous as to how she he got into a coma in the first place. Yeah, I mean, you've got you've got the sort of like, um, I, I guess Halloween was a big hit and a big influence mm. on, on the opening scene of, of a horrific scene that happens. And then you fast forward many years later. Uh, this is the 78 so it's like right in the middle of that boom of Halloween so I think that Mm. probably the thought was we've got a 90 minute film here we need something to grab them at the start and then we can do the slow build Mm. towards the towards the finale that we've got in plan but um yeah yeah no it's 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 it's, I I, I don't find it that weird I think Mm. I assume that it was the trauma of the situation which is what she suggests. In, yeah, that throws him into 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 a 
uh, comatose state. Um, yeah, because she does mention to the doctor, which is a fascinating sequence when they're first having, when she has a conversation with the doctor and saying, like, could the shock of doing this to her, to, to his own mother put him into a coma? And the doctor basically saying, like, you know, this isn't the, this is, you know, we can talk about psychology all this time. It's not important, which I feel is what also what the director and the screenwriter is saying. Let's not dig too deeply into the psychology of this, because that isn't important here. The important thing is how he's responding to her in particular, possibly finding his first proper love interest, per se, and not, but in a, but in a, but basically, but in a body that doesn't allow him to really act out on his sort of love and emotions. Bear in mind that he doesn't say a single word. Yes. So we're not, we're not seeing the development of Patrick's character through dialogue or anything like that, other than other people talking about him. It's entirely yeah. on, on a, on a fairly blank, face and probably should flag up just how freaky looking Robert Thompson is as, as, as the comatose Patrick with his bulging eyes. Why haven't his eyes been sutured shut? Roger's instructions. He will be expected to keep the eyes bathed and lubricated. Uh, apparently, according to, I've done a little bit of research on it, apparently they, he, he had very special eye drops that mm. allowed him to keep, him, to keep his eyes open for a, like a minute or two without blinking. What happened to him? Massive damage to the cerebral cortex. Some accident, so the police said. The police were involved? Apparently. Do you think it could have been the shock of seeing his mother killed? Who told you that? Her sister Williams told me. Perhaps. I mean, do you think something like that could cause this? I'm not interested in amateur psychology. I'm only interested in what he is now. How can you be so sure he isn't aware? 160 pounds of limp meat hanging off a comatose brain. Can you imagine anything less aware than that? Do you really want to know why we keep this miserable creature alive? Why he rates thousands of dollars worth of equipment and two nurses of his own? Is there a reason? Of course there's a reason. Determining the exact moment of death is one of the most controversial issues in modern medicine. At what point does the whatever it is that keeps a person alive actually leave the body? You mean the soul? Christians call it the soul, Russians call it bioplasm, yogis call it the life force. But my point is that whatever it is has never been identified. Why? Because death occurs too quickly. Dying may occur slowly, but the moment of death is like the blink of an eye. You're either alive or you're dead. So Patrick is just a guinea pig to you? No, Patrick, my dear girl, is a very, very rare opportunity to study this this grey area between life and death. What does Matron Cassidy think of your ideas? She thinks they're bullshit. Let me know when his bowels have moved. One of the things he did ask, uh, again, another thing in the movie, he says, why do you keep his eyes open? It's almost just, it's almost, it's almost like the doctor in this case, the actual, the, should we call him the evil doctor in this case? For well, sure, you know, he's, he's, he's a mis, well, misguided maybe. Is misguided the doctor. <laughs> the misguided doctor saying like, it's almost like, it's almost like to put a test on it. It's like, look, if we keep your eyes open, right, you know, we have to do eye drops and everything, but it's almost a scene like, can you respond to this? He's trying to find any kind of stimuli to make sure that he's actually responding in some way or another. And I think you can see by this time, because it's been three or three years or so, how almost how how irritated he's getting because he's just realizing like we are keeping you running alive, but you're not doing anything. Mm. And 
again, this is another development in the story that I really like. It's the development of the of the misguided doctor and the head nurse, uh, the matron, who just they both have very two different opinions. One saying we want to, we need to keep him alive to research. The other one saying, well, you're literally just prolonging the inevitable death. Let's just stop this. And it's another very interesting wrinkle to what already is another series of wrinkles. Yeah, I mean, you you, you, add, you add that ticking clock element to the storyline, don't you? With the, we're mm. going to pull the plug, kind of. That's that's an idea. Yeah, adds adds stakes to the to the matter, I guess. Um, yeah, because otherwise it would just be a very bizarre love story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and, he, and Patrick is like I say, he is he is the teenage boy thing, but he does do some horrible things. He only kills one person. But it's just, horrific. It is horrific, and he throws another one in the in 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 the lift um, for for thirty five minutes. Where, where, well, thirty five minutes of the movie. Of the movie, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Not, not in thirty five minutes of the movie, but he was actually thrown <laughs> in there for what seems to be two days. Yeah, he's, he's 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 about to die of starvation and, and thirst. And, you know, it's that bad. So you know, you know. Cutting somebody off like that is, is pretty horrible as well. Yeah, a bit. <laughs> yeah. He's not, not the nicest of guys, is he? But the thing is, I can say, like you said, teenage boy, but this could be an over-exaggeration like a teenage boy would do. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. It would be like, you know, if you don't love me, then no one's going to have you and I'm going to do this. Ha, 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 ha. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Patrick, I didn't type this, did I? You typed it, didn't you? Didn't you? There, Patrick, show me there. but it serves the bastard right. I didn't type that. When he came on a bit strong, I fixed him up in his own swimming pool. What did you mean by that? Patrick? The, what, the thing that really got to me, the movie, the part that really showed how clever this was, it's the typewriter. Um, in order way for Patrick to really communicate 
because he can't speak and he can't move. He uses a typewriter. And the way it's done, it's surprisingly clever in terms of how he responds and how he does certain things. It's witty. It's smart. It's very well done to prove to give the, the give our, to give this character some kind of voice. And we can kind of see that because, again, in the entire movie, he doesn't speak. Mm. And it's and it's genuinely creepy. The, 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 it, obviously, it's a typewriter, so that adds adds levels to it as well. The, the punching of the of the thing is it's not it's not just a case mm. of like a, a keyboard on the computer as it would be nowadays. It's yeah. got that impact to it as well. And yeah. and it's not a full sentences. It's kind of weird bursts of dialogue, bursts of 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 of. of, of of the ejaculation of words sort of thing. He doesn't quite know yeah. what he wants to see. He just obviously go out he comes. Um yeah, very, very creepy. There's one bit again that uh, it shows again he has a bit of wit. It's like uh, I think she uh, the character I think she goes and says you think you're so clever, don't you? And then so he types out an entire like what seems to be a scientific mathematical question just to mm. poke fun of her. It's like yeah, I am very clever, thank you very much. Well, aren't we a clever boy? What does that mean? It's a clever script. It really is a Mm. clever script. And and I think as you're watching it, it it was apparently the screen we saw, there's a moment where everyone thinks the same thing. Mm. And they think, does he get an erection? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. and... Everyone thinks like that, and then the script immediately answers it right at the same time. And you know you're onto a good thing when the when the when the script is ahead of you. Mm. You, know, you should never be ahead of the script, and and you're as an audience member, you should never be ahead of the script. And the script just goes, "You thought you were ahead of us, didn't you? Nope, we're going to address that as well. Here it is." And they address it, and then they move on. And it says, "You think, yeah, yeah, you you know what you're doing." Yeah, here. and on top of that as well, it's like it actually adds. It's it's also a character development. Yeah, sure. It actually shows how. She's doing. She's doing it mostly because the only kind of the only kind of physical interaction Patrick has is through spitting. Mm-hmm. And what I find interesting is that obviously he he spits a lot more around her, which automatically saying, "Hey, you must know something. You must know that I'm here or whatever." If you're spitting more for me, and so asks, "Can you feel this? Can you feel this?" And then goes for the hand job basically mm-hmm. which again just to say actually the hand just some people when, when me mentioning a hand job people think like oh is this it's not done in a fashion that's very obviously kind of like it's not there it's not out there it's there it's the move it's, it's very suggested but um it adds a very weird wrinkle to her character she was doing this to help in a weird way just to p- confirm like okay so this is actually you are actually responding to this. But now everybody, when they did find out, especially the head nurse, now just thinks that she's a bit of a slut. Yeah. And a very kink and a very weird person is that because it's like, well, this is a comatose patient. What are you doing? Yeah, I mean, you get you get some of this in, in um, Dennis Potter's uh, Singing Detective. We have a very mm. similar scene, which is, is played, 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 played very different. But it's similarly in the subtlety, and it adds layers to the story as well. And that's what it does here. Initially, you think the audience laughs. You think, mm. oh, God, you're oh, no, awkward. It's funny, it's ridiculous. But then, because it adds so much layers to the storyline, you get beyond that initial laugh and you think, oh, okay, mm. this is this is adding to the story, it's adding to the plot, it's adding to the complexity of her character as well, mm. uh, of how she is seen, you know, which is already 
uh, separated from her husband. She's already seen as as some kind of social pariah in that respect. Uh, yeah. And then you get this other 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 wrinkle here with the with the weird kinky comatose patients ham job scene. Why did you choose the Rocher Clinic for your comeback, Mrs. Jackard? The agency suggests because we're only a small clinic, some applicants presume that our standards are less rigid. Oh, I didn't think that. And because of this misconception, we tend to attract certain types. Types. Types, Mrs. Jackard. I don't, uh, lesbians, nymphomaniacs, enema specialists. Well, am I offending you, Mrs. Jackard? No. Zoophiliacs, algalagiacs, necrophiliacs, pedophiliacs, scoptophiliacs, exhibitionists, voyeurs. Now, do you follow me, Mrs. Jackard? Yes. Matron is the most evil character per se. Well, evil in terms of how she is being portrayed as, although she is just trying to run a business, basically. She's just trying to run her ship. And, but, you know, she does mention, like, you know, we do get certain types around here, including, uh, and she goes for a whole list of what's considered to be deviants, mm -hmm. basically. And so, in a weird way, when she does, when this does happen, she's not surprised which kind of shows how, 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 how many nurses were here. How <laughs> yeah. worse was it? She is very cartoonishly bad, but she is again layered because she generally feels that something's wrong with Patrick. There's something very uncomfortable. She doesn't want to go into the same room as Patrick. And it's never really explained other than I bet you she's had an experience using telekinetic powers and yet she doesn't want to confront it rather uh, other than our lead who is more than willing to confront it and be a big girl boss about it. She stands there firmly, being independent, say, shouting out and saying, oi, stop it, especially at the end, where she says, look, this, this telekinetic stuff doesn't scare me anymore. A chair's thrown at her. She ducks and goes, hey, look, stop that. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. scolding a child. What have you done to my husband? Where is he? Talk to me, Patrick. Is that it? You think I'm a slut? Why? Because I've been unfaithful? Because I won't belong to you? Is that why you murdered your mother, Patrick? think, Patrick, that if you stopped other men getting close to me, we'd be together forever and ever? Love? What do you know about love? Who'd love you? You're a self-centered, self-important, self-indulgent little boy who never grew up, who wants his mummy. Go on, get it out of your system. Your tantrums don't scare me anymore. Now, what have you done to my husband? It's again the development of her character learning to become independent. She's on mm. that process, and this is just the, the, I guess, the final individual step, if in a mm. very exaggerated way, of her mm. of her becoming her own person, and 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 also the world accepting her as this new person, because mm. her husband has, has started to accept her as this new person, and now Patrick is, and the world the world is as well. Yeah, and that's what I think. It's the entire movie is her trying to prove that she is not her previous self. Even from the beginning, when she's first being introduced, he's saying, "Look, I was a nurse, and then I wasn't a nurse in the, I was a nurse in another country, 
and then I moved to Australia with my husband. Uh, that's clearly what happened. And then she changed the thing. She doesn't. She didn't like what she became, and she wanted to go back to her old self. And she's. It's the entire movie is her trying to defend her new her her, her new self, as it were. And but people getting in the way the uh the the cocky doctor the ex-husband patrick himself um matron uh the misunderstood doctor all that and the friend as well the friend yeah. is just like oh just go with the sexy new doctor it's fine you know it's like pe- people trying to force her into certain areas and she's like no no I'm finding the area I want to find myself. And that's what I like about it. The the, the first interactions with the sort of cocky doctor um, isn't like, oh, isn't isn't flirtation. The first thing is, look, I have something in mind. I want to talk about Patrick. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, it's very almost professional. It's like, look, we are professionals. Let's talk like professionals. Let's talk like people first, even though you are pretty much in a very skimpy uh uh, a very skimpy speedo swimming around a pool. Um, it's it's a very it's a big it's a very different sort of look at that relationship. It's a professional yeah. relationship that gets sexy, as it were. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. She, she it, it's not instigated by her. I think that's mm. the, any sort of like sexual connection. It's not it's not instigated by her. And yeah. I think that's that's the key to starting that scene. It's mm. I want to talk about Patrick. I'm here to talk about a professional man. I want to ask, why is it you think that this movie is not as maybe well-known in circles as you think it is? Because I've read a little bit of research on this, and apparently it might it might have been a bit of a box office flop in Australia, but it did surprisingly well in some countries, including Italy. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's I guess it has, what is, what is unknown? What is, mm. you know, what do you, what, 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 I knew about it, a lot of people knew about it, what, what makes it, feel like it's unknown because it was a hit worldwide maybe not as much mm. in australia but it was a hit worldwide wide and the, to the point where the italians even did a cash-in se- sequel yes you know patrick still still lives which yes the italians didn't do that for many films you know they they cashed in on jaws they cashed in a lot the italian industry was all about like if this is a hit in july we'll have mm. four different versions of it by christmas out in our cinemas and that's what that's how they they, they produce their, their their films, and and they only did that for like the big hits. They yeah. even then as well, like you mentioned, is like that that Italian version. Uh, the Italian version of Patrick had Italian rock band and Dario Argento's favorite musicians, Goblin, play the new score for it as well. Yeah. I think maybe possibly reason why the Italians caught on very well is because this is the kind of movie the Italians would have probably made on their own anyway. It feels like a very kind of like a sort of supernatural giallo movie in that sense. Hey, me again. Wanting to fill you in on another term. For those unaware, giallo is a very particular subgenre of Italian cinema based off the ideas of pulpy murder mysteries and horror stories found in yellow bound books and inspired it. Hence, giallo the Italian name for yellow. These series of films were kicked off around the 1960s with Mario Bava and then continued with the works of Lucio Fulci and Dario Argento, with they all have a very particular approach. They're usually very stylish, violent, gory, and tackle characters and themes with the subtlety of a sledgehammer or a chaotic black-gloved killer. 
It was done this way as a means of grabbing the loud and ruckus Italian audience's attention and keep them alert throughout, hence the sometimes bizarre pacing of the films. So, is Patrick a giallo? Not entirely. It is lacking the over-the-top deaths and blood splatter to even fall under this category. And for the purists out there, they claim that it shouldn't even contain any supernatural elements. But it does have some of its quirks. Certain things like certain characteristics, certain developments, uh, narrative thread that lend itself to the genre of Jallo. Especially in its psychosexual nature, as Adam explains. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's... Uh... They they were particularly with the psychosexual backdrop is very jello in that respect. You know, mm. all the jello, all nearly all jello, all the jello films from the early seventies through to the late seventies were all about some sort of psychosexual problem that's manifesting itself into a series of black glove killings. You know, that's literally the plot for most of them. And this <laughs> this this ties in very nicely with that. You know, with the sexualized sort of like teenage boy trapped in a thing, trapped in in, in his own body. Mm. and the sexual nature of the plot. Right right fodder for the, for the Italian film industry, no problem. Yeah. They must have loved that to the point yeah, they made a sequel out yeah, of it. Exactly. And then about 35 years later, there was a remake of that. Uh, the remake, um, 2013, in yeah. Australia, which I don't know if a lot of people have seen. I'm not sure if it's any good. I've but... seen it. I've seen it. Yep. Very good. Yeah. It's uh, directed by the director of Not Quite Hollywood, the exploitation documentary that yeah. brought attention to a lot of Italian films in 2008. Yeah. Uh, of Australian films, rather, in 2008. Um, mm-hmm. He obviously went into great detail over a lot of, of the bigger films, like, like, like the ones we've been talking about today, but also like Mad Max and... Mm. The, the Italian sex comedies and uh, the uh, Alvin Purple films and the Barry McKenzie movies, all those sort of like films that were, were part of that big boom of Australia. He, he was doing a documentary on all of them and, he, and out of all of those, he picked out Patrick as, okay, that's the one that is primed for a remake. Mm. Um, uh, uh, and did it. And he, it's not a bad film. It's not Patrick, mm. if that makes sense. I think one yeah. of the things that I really like about the original Patrick is it setting in an it's set in an old hospital, but it's like an old 1950s hospital where mm. it's all beige and boring, and the pipes are, cru- are cruddy and rubbish and, and don't work properly. But it's got that normality about it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm. And then he kind of sets in an old asylum slash Victorian style hospital, so it's very gothic. Yeah. And it, it's, it, it feels more like a movie, whereas when I was watching Patrick, the original Patrick, it felt more like real life, mm. even though the, the ridiculous premise of, of, of telekinesis. Well, it's because it's also the fact that what I like about it is the movie is not a big budget movie. It's cheaper, and but it's being clever with that by setting up, look, they're, they're only were able to build one set, which is Patrick's room. Everything else is on location. Yeah. And it shows that it's on location. It shows it's a real place. It doesn't show like they purposely built, for example, or they found a, a, a gothic asylum, which I think just adds more to the unnecessary level of horror that doesn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. Patrick, what I find interesting that Patrick's being sold as a horror movie, and it's sold as like this sort of the schlocky horror film when I don't think it is. No. It's more than that. It is it is a it is pseudo it, it, it is it is a psychosexual uh psychological thriller. 
Mm-hmm. It just happens to have a very bizarre premise. So if you were going to add the Victorian Gothic feel and making that vibe, you're pushing more onto the horror element that I don't think this movie is. No, I mean, the, 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 the remake is definitely much more of a spooky, ghosty style movie, you know, poltergeisty mm. kind of film rather than, than what Patrick ends up being. Um, but, you know, it, it's got its own merits in it. And if you're going to remake a film, you've got to bring something different to it, I guess. And I, th- I think the reviews for this film were fairly positive uh, for, this, for the remake. Um, I don't think it went down in a ball of flames or anything like that. I think it did all right. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, um, I think I think we've got we said everything we need to say about Patrick. Uh, but if we were good, what I want to add at the end of this is I want to kind of want to give a sort of a I want I want you and I want you as well as are my guests to try and see you do a quick elevator pitch. So okay. if you were going to sell this movie to someone who's never seen it before, and you've only got a couple of sentences to do it in, how would you do it? Oh, that's a tricky one because I think it. Mm, it's a tricky one that I think I think I'd probably end up leaning on the flockiness to be perfectly honest <laughs> I go it's it's about a killer a, a, a psychosexual killer who kills people from his coma bed <laughs> uh, you know what that is the perfect elevator pitch for that you at least grab him interest and say excuse mm. me and then it's like oh but there's also there, there is there is a very complex love story there is Hitchcockian vibes to it there is there is some there's some really silly humor all combined together to in a in a movie or based in Australia well done yeah I mean, it's, it's, it's a tricky one because like as soon as you start mentioning telekinesis it's like well you either were you're out at that point there's no, there's no sort of like no matter how how well I pitch it, you're either in or out at that point. I think you're gonna lean, you're gonna lean heavily on that. It's you know, it's yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Patrick gets picked up by Arrow or or um, Shameless or someone like that, and to put a, a nice version of Blu-ray out because it is, like you say, it's it's cleverer than people think it is, and I think it's ripe for audio commentaries it's right for documentaries to tie in it's right for all those additional extras that people like to to to, to have on their blu-rays mm. this this is perfect you can get tarantino talking about this movie because he's a big fan of it you know yeah. you, there's, there's opportunities to get people to, to 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 buy into this movie just through the extras uh, that you can create for it So that is the end of our review of Patrick, the Ozploitation film with more to say than its premise. Oh boy, did we cover a lot. I would like to thank my guest Adam Marsh for his time and his wonderful insight into this not-so-trash film. Thank you all for listening to the first episode of this new series. If you like what you hear and want more of it or even have any suggestions for films to review, please like share and leave a review on all podcast platforms it will help with the algorithm to reach more cinephile ears and allow us to produce more episodes like this now before we wrap up if you're wondering the new theme music is hackers by white bat audios carl casey link is in the description if you want to add this track to your playlists and with that this film essay is closed and we will return soon to another not-so-trash review. See you all next time, cinephiles.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode and hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it around with movie lovers you know, maybe add a star rating or write a good review. All of this helps with the algorithm and provides us with more opportunities to reach the ears to a whole new bunch of bad film fanatics. Want to find out more about us? Then head over to our socials where we provide sneak peeks and up-to-date news on everything nostalgic and trashy. You can find our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages in the description. So please, follow us. See you next time, cinephiles. Cinephiles.